Well, hello everyone. Um, season's greetings, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, post Christmas, and for those you know who knows more the deeper meaning of this holidays they're celebrating also a lot of the eternal life techniques freedom and the real christmas christmas that we really need to know because you know everything has just been distorted from religion to politics to health just everything however the best thing that happened in the last within the last three years is seems like most people are willing to hear about everything also because now they know that from what happened with a pandemic if that was a pandemic then what else have they been hiding so more than ever we welcome all these changes and awakening and this holiday season and thank you for all of you who's been helping us following it following us, inspiring us, okay? Because without you, we won't be inspired to, to really keep doing. And the collaboration among each other's podcasters and of course, our guests and brave, brave guests, doctors, and those who have so much that they are putting in front and or in the front of this battle, you know? And even those who don't have, you think you don't have so much to lose, nevertheless, they put their lives, their families, their time in front, in the front. So thank you. And today we are really happy and excited to have Dr. Kimberly Biss. And Dr. Kim, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. So I, what I know a little bit about Kim is that uh, first I was really happy to listen to her America Out Loud uh, podcast with Dr. Peter McCullough. And everyone knows who Dr. McCullough is. And the more that he gets censored, the more that he gets really good in delivering what needs to be heard by the community. So Kim is from New Jersey and grew up in Medford. And she is already in somewhere in Boston. No, she went to school in Boston for the medical school, the top medical school, right? And Dr. Kim will just add more to what I'm saying, okay? And she took her surgical internship at the Emory University in Atlanta and completed her OBGYN residency at Bayfront Medical Center in, in St. Petersburg, Florida. And so she's really been in practice since 1998. And she's not just, um, uh, a doctor there, a resident in in the, at the uh, St. Petersburg, Florida at Bayfront, but she is a chief of staff. And with my experience as working in a hospital, it's not easy to just be a chief of staff. You have to have that really broad understanding of the whole responsibility and just communications with different people to be a chief of staff. But and so that's what she did. So in the last, uh, I think, two, three years also, she knew that things are not what it seemed to be, what they're being told. So she stepped up. And that's why we like her to step up and encourage her that she really is inspiring many people. So Dr. Kim, thank you again. Is there anything more that you want the, our audience to know? Um, so a little bit about the chief of, of staff situation. So that 
actually started in January of 2020. So right before the pandemic happened and our hospital at the time was in the process of being sold to a larger system. And that sale was supposed to happen in March, but you know, then the pandemic happened and the company that was going to purchase us didn't want to buy a hospital in March because they didn't know what was going to happen with the pandemic. They didn't want to buy a failing venture. So we were navigating the pandemic initially with very little monetary support from the company that was trying to sell us. We ultimately got sold in the fall of that year and things started to improve, but it was really tough in the beginning because we just didn't have a lot of financial support. Um, we were sending all our COVID testing and I'm in a large hospital. We're a 400 bed facility uh, that has a level two trauma center. We have high risk obstetrics. Every medical specialty is represented at my institution. So we don't ever have to send a patient to, very rarely to another hospital because we can't take care of him or her. Um, but it took a while for us to even be able to do testing uh, because we didn't have the functionality for it. We would be sending the tests for COVID out to the health department and it would take weeks or two to get the results. We finally got a testing machine, but then they sent us the wrong freaking kits. So it's like the toy you had as a baby. You're trying to put the round thing through the square hole. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so anyway, it was it was rough in the beginning of my chiefdom. But then it was uh, it became even harder because a lot of the doctors on my medical council when we would have meetings, um, they hated President Trump. And I, I think there was only one other physician on my medical council that we, you know, we were Republican and voted for Trump. And they and I had to bite my tongue at more than one meeting because they would always, you know, after Trump would go out there every day and speak in front of his White House task force, which we now know were a bunch of, you know, idiots. But anyway, he would be out there for two hours talking and I would go to a med council meeting and they would say, oh, he never says anything. He never. And I'm like, oh, whatever. But it, it, it just very early just became so political. And, and I just, I couldn't believe the, the way things were happening where prior to COVID, if, any, if you ever had a respiratory infection in the United States and you went to an ER, your primary and urgent care, you wouldn't leave without four prescriptions. You know, you'd be on a Z-Pack, an inhaler, a cough suppressant, some, a steroid, who knows? Well, then you get COVID and you go, we have nothing for you. Go home, eat soup, and come back when you can't breathe. I mean, that right away just made no sense to me. And we already had physicians that were like Dr. Zev Zelenko, may he rest in peace, you know, he uh, had already figured out the hydroxychloroquine situation way early on and all that was getting suppressed. And I, I have a story about that. I don't know where, where you want, want to go with this, but I have a story about uh, present, you know, of bringing up the fact that we needed to treat outpatient COVID to my medical staff. And that almost got me kicked off the medical staff. They couldn't believe it. So I don't know when you want me to tell that story, but it's kind of an incredible story. 
you go ahead and keep on, you know, see how you wanted this uh, episode to flow. Because, you know, we invited you because we wanted to really be, be you be the lead of our conversation. We have different questions, of course, that will lead, you know, to your, your specialty. But please lead us. Sure. So in June of 2021, so this was, we we're already rolling out the vaccines here. Um, and ACOG had recommended that we give this to our pregnant women, which I could not believe. And I can sleep at night because I've never recommended this to anybody, let alone a pregnant woman, these shots. But anyway, in June of 2021, I was doing a C-section and um, the resident that was supposed to help me arrived late to the show and she was all apologetic. And I said, well, what's up? And she said, well, I was dealing with a really sick patient in the emergency room, she's 26 weeks pregnant and she has really bad COVID. They found that she had in both lungs, she had bilateral saddle pulmonary emboli, which basically her whole blood supply to her lungs system was clotted off. They couldn't ventilate her for obvious reasons. So they had to transfer her to a hospital across the bay to, so she could get ECMO, which is basically where they oxygenate the blood outside of the body. It's like a bypass system. Well, she died two days later. I don't know what happened to the baby. My assumption is they did an emergency C-section to salvage the baby, but the patient died. She was in her thirties. And I said, oh my God. And the resident said, yeah, she was here two weeks ago but she wasn't sick enough to be admitted for COVID. So they sent her home, of course, on no medication. That made me so angry that I decided at my July med council meeting, I was gonna give what's called the safety moment. So any hospital meeting they have now in the beginning of the meeting, somebody's supposed to give a safety moment and I never give it. It's usually our quality guy and it's about a near miss situation with a patient usually. But I decided I was going to give the safety moment. And I, I don't usually do presentations, but I made this, this really, you know, crappy slideshow. But it was about, um, I had a big picture of Dr. McCullough and his early treatment of COVID protocol. Um, a big picture of Robert Malone, because I addressed the vaccinations. And a big picture of, of Zev, uh, Zelenko. And I presented the patient. And after I looked around the room after I said she had died and not one person like even batted an eyelash. And I said, I find it criminal that we are not treating these people early. I said, it makes no sense to me that we're sending them home with nothing and just making them get sicker. And the only doctor in the room that spoke up was my now vice chief of staff. She's an emergency room physician. And she said that, well, the reason for that is because we don't have any, uh, in our literature, we don't, they don't say that that works and it's not safe. And I said, well, it's not, not safe. I said, all my lupus and rheumatoid arthritis pregnant women are on the same dose of hydroxychloroquine the whole pregnancy. And you know, why is that safe? But if I want to give the same dose for five days, it's unsafe. Makes no sense. Nobody in the room said anything. So then I went into, I showed a picture of the uh, data that I had gotten from the Israeli Ministry of Health, which was all in Hebrew. 
but I knew what it said because I'm in chat rooms and I knew what it said. And it was basically showing that the vaccine was already starting to show that it was failing because in Israel, as you probably all know, you know, that's Pfizer's crash test dummy country. They started the vaccines way before the United States. And by July of 2021, they were already on their first booster. So that was their third injection. And they were already seeing an increase in COVID and a lot of hospitalizations. And I said, we're already showing that this is failing. And a doctor spoke up and said, I don't think Dr. Biss is interpreting that slide correctly. And another, my only other Trumper <laughs> physician in the room is Jewish and reads and speaks Hebrew. And he said, no, actually, she's correct in what she's telling us. And I said, I'm just afraid that we think the vaccines are going to be the way out of this pandemic. And I don't think they will be. And I think we need to find treatment. So I finished my talk and the next person to speak is one of the administrators, our chief nursing officer. And she's bringing up the fact about how our hospital system wanted to make the COVID vaccinations mandatory. And they start talking about the vaccines like nobody had heard what I had said. I was disgusted and felt very alone, you know, because obviously nobody else in the room was thinking like me. Well, I didn't know this for a couple of weeks, but the very next day, three physicians, two of which weren't even at my meeting, but heard through the grapevine what I had discussed, went to the CEO of the hospital and not only demanded that I resign as chief of staff, but resign from the hospital of which I had been on staff by that point, 20 years in very good standing because I was dangerous and evidently anti-vaccine. That's all they got out of my talk. So I found this out two weeks later and went in like a broom closet in the hospital and cried because I've never been asked to leave anything. I mean, I was just like mortified that I had peers that thought of me that way. And the very next day I had to meet with the CEO because he liked to meet with me a, a week prior to our med council meeting and just go over things. And I was very nervous about meeting him because I didn't know what, <laughs> how the meeting was going to go. And he, he basically, uh, I walked in the room and he could tell I was a little uncomfortable. And he's like, Dr. Biss, I get you because he had talked to another physician that's a good friend of mine. And she basically told him, look, it's her meeting. She can talk about what she wants. She's a physician. She can have an opinion. And she said, I didn't get out of her talk that she was only talking about the vaccine. She brought up other stuff. So the CEO and I had a very good talk. And I said to him, why don't you open an outpatient COVID clinic so we can treat people early and they don't end up sick in the hospital on a ventilator? He's the CEO of a hospital. And he said to me, that would be a career ender. Imagine making people healthy <laughs> would be a career ender as a CEO of a hospital. Couldn't believe it. But anyway, I, my chiefdom was only supposed to last two years and they, I don't know, they all love me. So they convinced me to, to stay on. So I'm still chief of staff until January of 2024. Um, 
some of them are starting to come around now. I mean, we, I think things can be talked about more, but you know, I didn't get vaccinated and I was an other for a while. I had a mask when the rest didn't have to mask. I had to sit far away from them. So, because, you know, I'm not vaccinated, so I'm infected. I'm infective, but you know, I, I had COVID in January of 2021 when most of my colleagues were getting the vac. Well, it's not a vaccine. We're getting the gene therapy and I got COVID. I probably had the Delta strain and um, I still had antibodies like 11 months later and I haven't been sick since. And everybody I know that's been jabbed has been sick multiple times. There's an ultrasonographer in my company that's had COVID now four times. She just had it last week, but she had her fifth shot a month ago. I mean, it's crazy, you know, and now we're seeing, I, I, I'm on a bunch of sub stacks that I read that we're seeing that these shots are acting like allergy shots to where they're making your immune system not attack with their design, you know, like when you get allergy shots, it's supposed to make your immune system not attack what you're allergic to. And that's kind of what these shots are doing now they're thinking. And that's why the more shots you get, the more likely you are to get COVID. You must be referring to the substack of uh, Dr. Jessica Rose. Yes. The, yes. Have you read? Yes. Yeah. Dr. I, Jessica I, Rose, she's also I send her my... So one of her substacks is data that I sent her um, about my miscarriage rate and stuff. So I can I can go She's a little bit be, into the pregnancy stuff if you want. Yeah, that, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, because we do really want to, for uh, most of our viewers are women, and they uh, it may not be all young women who have still in the um, childbearing age, however, they have nieces and daughters. And so it's important for us to talk about that. And like what, so from, from that data that Dr. Jessica Rose, and she's going to be with us sometime early next month. And, you know, she, we just have that. Oh, so good. I'm really happy that you yeah. are connected with her and, and all of you are doing what's your strength. Now, if a pregnant woman or, or a young woman who wants to be pregnant comes to you, and then said, so Dr. Kim, Dr. Kim, what do you think? Should I really get the, the COVID vaccine? You know, that's they call COVID vaccine. What would be your advice? And when they get sick now, and if someone is also pregnant, the other one is potential pregnancy, and the other one is going to be pregnant, and they get they around people who get sick, what would be your best advice for them? So... First and foremost, I would never recommend that they get the injections now. We were told, you know, for decades as obstetricians, we've been told that if a pregnant woman gets influenza, the seasonal flu, she's going to do much worse than a non-pregnant woman because of the changes in her respiratory and cardiopulmonary system that occurs in pregnancy. So that's how they get by with recommending that we give all our pregnant women the flu vaccine. They have to get the flu vaccine because if they get influenza, they can die. Well, I've been doing this for 28 years if you include my residency training. And I've never had a pregnant woman die of the flu. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, 
but the way they they put the spin on it, you would think there would be all this death every year of pregnant women because they're always pushing the flu vaccine. Well, they took that same argument early in 2021 when they were starting to roll out the vaccines that, oh, these pregnant women have to get the COVID shot because if they get COVID, you know, they're going to they're going to die. Well, here's the situation in 2020 when we didn't have a vaccine. Our pregnant women, with the exception of the story that I just told you, um, for the most part did very well uh, when compared to non-pregnant women. And there's actually two papers that were written by Dr. Beth Pinellas uh, out of Houston, comparing pregnant women to non-pregnant women that were admitted to the hospital with COVID in the year 2020. And she found that less of the pregnant women ended up being placed on ventilators or dying when compared to the non-pregnant women. So they, they did better overall. Um, so, and the other thing, there was an article that came out in uh, April of 2021, I believe it was in the New England Journal of Medicine, where they the authors analyzed the V-Safe data, which was the app that the Pfizer trial patients had on their phone that they could, you know, let them know if they had any bad outcomes. Um, now, as we all know, Pfizer, none of them intentionally, any of these trials tested pregnant women. You were not allowed to be pregnant and be in the trial. And they actually told men to wear a condom because they didn't know like if anything was going to be in the sperm, et cetera. Well, some women ended up getting pregnant, as we know, because not everybody follows the rules. So they had in this cohort, they had about 800, I want to say 846 patients. And in the discussion, they said the miscarriage rate in these patients was compatible with what is accepted in our literature, which is about 10 to 15 percent of the women in the study had a miscarriage. But if you read the study critically, you would see that they used the wrong denominator because you can't figure out a miscarriage rate and use the whole denominator because you have patients that are in their first, second, and third trimester in the whole group. A miscarriage is something that occurs prior to 20 weeks. If you have a loss after 20 weeks, that's a stillbirth. So when you actually took the number of people in the first trimester and used the right denominator, the miscarriage rate was 80%. Okay, 80%. We knew this, Pfizer knew this, and we're seeing that obviously with a lot of work that Naomi Wolf has done with the documents we're getting through FOIA requests and all the dumps. They knew this. American College of OBGYN had to have known this, you know, I mean, this never ever should have been recommended to pregnant women. We had data showing that they did, they did well during the pandemic. Here in Florida, we had the monoclonal antibodies we could treat pregnant women with if they got COVID and they would be better within a day or two. But now, I mean, the virus is a head cold. So what, what are we vaccinating against? It makes no sense. I just saw a lady this morning, she had COVID two weeks ago. She did fine. Nobody's ending up in the hospital anymore. We haven't had a COVID unit in our hospital now in over a year and a half. You know, it's all staying up here. 
And that's what normally happens with viruses. You know, they become less uh, deadly. They don't want to kill their hosts, right? Because then they can't keep going on. So they, they become less deadly, uh, more infectious, but they don't make you as sick. So anyway, the vaccines were given to pregnant women and I've looked at my data and I would have to say our pregnant women, I mean, it's compatible with in the state of Florida, at least almost 70% of people in our state got at least the first two injections. And then it started going down with the boosters. Well, it's the same with our pregnant patients. I, I looked at my whole pregnancy population and I would say it's close to 70% have gotten at least two shots. And not only is our miscarriage rate increased, for example, this month, um, we've, may, we've maybe seen a little over 40 newly pregnant patients, which for us is, that's a lot. Um, we've already had 10 miscarriages. That's way more than 10 to 15%. I'm not a mathematician, but you know, I can figure that out. Um, but we're also I know seeing- of a friend of mine, I know of a friend of mine who lost her baby as well, you know, so I'm very sad about that. I think, thank you. Anyway, we, I wish there's so much of you. <laughs> <laughs> All the OBGYN are like cute. Thank you. But keep on going. I'll pass it on to Roy. Yeah. So um, not only are we, am I seeing increased miscarriage rates, but um, the birth rate's gone down and we've seen that globally. And I don't think it's because everybody's doing it for climate change. Um, uh, but the other thing we've seen increase in pregnancy is um, preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure in pregnancy, which usually happens in the third trimester. Um, and, you know, that's related to inflammation, which may be caused from the spike protein. We know the spike protein and the lipid nanoparticles circulate in people's bodies when they get these injections. They don't just stay in the arm and they, cross, they do cross the placenta. So that they may be involved, but I will just tell you our preeclampsia rates have been elevated. Um, and oligohydramnios, which is low fluid around the baby, which again is a reflection of the healthiness or not of the placenta. And we've had to deliver a lot of women sooner than they should be delivered because the fluid around the baby has become low. Um, the other thing I'm seeing an increase in is postpartum hemorrhages, uh, which happen right at the time of birth or maybe a few hours after birth. And we're actually, there's another physician in Florida that has sent all the tissue samples to Dr. Ryan Cole, who's the pathologist. I'm sure you know who he is. He's been on a bunch of podcasts, but he actually stains tissue for spike protein um, and uh, this particular patient uh, hemorrhaged so badly that um, the doctor had to do a hysterectomy on her right after she had her baby to save her life. And Dr. Cole is going to look at the tissue to see if this may be related to the vaccine. So we're seeing a lot of that too. So, um, and there's more to come. I mean, uh, we know that um, this crosses to the fetuses, so we don't know long-term what this may be. Um, you know, I'm sure you all know all of our endocrine organs 
are very lipophilic and suck in these lipid nanoparticles. And so what does that mean to a female, uh, you know, in the womb that, you know, these nanoparticles might get in her ovaries because a woman's born with all the eggs she's ever going to make. Um, so we don't know long-term for that, but it, it's in all, it's going to be in all endocrine organs. There's a physician, um, I can never remember his name. This is awful, but I went to an FLCCC conference in October and he is a member of the FLCCC and he spoke, he's Brazilian, um, Flavio something. He's a endocrinologist and he's also a sports medicine physician and he's studying a lot of these soccer players that are dying on the pitch because you know that's normal. Um, he's studying the catecholamine release in them because maybe it has something to do with the vaccine, the spike, whatnot. But anyway, he was talking about how he envisions over the next several years, we're going to see a lot of endocrine disorders because these things are going to go everywhere. And, you know, we are seeing it in our world with the irregular menstrual periods, but a lot of people, Dr. Robert Malone is one, you know, his diabetes has not been able to be controlled as, you know, when he, since he got these injections and, you know, that's a pancreas related thing. Um, you know, and, and there's also articles showing that uh, men have had decreased sperm counts um, after they've been injected. So it's, the cancers too. I mean, I've seen in my practice, breast cancer um, rates are definitely increased. Women that have not had, you know, were diagnosed with breast cancer 10 or 15 years ago. Now they have a recurrence. Um, and there are, there are studies showing that these vaccines may suppress our tumor uh, suppressing genes like BRCA and there's others as well. Um, so cancer rates, sadly are probably going to be increased. And there are people in other countries, you know, the United States is not very transparent in the information. A lot of stuff is being hidden, but in the UK, <clears throat> there's a couple oncologists that are speaking out now talking about how much cancer they're seeing. And I don't think it's related to the lockdowns and people not getting care. I think it's definitely related to the injections. I'm just uh, curious with uh, blood transfusions. Um, is there a way of isolating it? So for me, I'm non-vaxxed and I will never get vaxxed. Like, am I able to choose or is it all just mixed together? So I would say, sadly, it's all mixed together. I mean, we know the, the, the two cases of the babies, right? The New Zealand baby and then the one in our country that died that basically clotted off his whole body. Um, you know, it's going back to the HIV days. I mean, there that blood was contaminated. I, I do think that our blood supply is contaminated and that's going to be, you know, people that make blood banks. I mean, you can stain for spike protein. So it would be, you could easily, you know, screen for that because you can't look at somebody and know whether or not they've been vaccinated, right? But there's a way to, to screen, but it's all a matter of doing the screening. Um, and I know that there are some people that are talking about starting blood banks, you know, with unvaccinated blood. That's going to be a huge endeavor, you know. 
with um, the doctors that are kind of against you at the start. And I mean, we've seen that around the world. Is it a case that with the kickbacks that we know all the pharmaceutical companies are doing and they're just happy with their pockets being lined? Because I know personally loads of people that have died and have been damaged. And I'm sure majority of people do that. Like they're working in the hospital. How come they can't see it? What is actually going on? I mean, you're deep in there now. Like, what, what's the status now today? So let me go back a little bit. I think that, you know, obviously we know a lot of this was planned ahead of time, right? And a lot of the, there was a lot of work that went into the whole psychology of this. And, you know, I think the fear factor um, you know, originally when we didn't know what we were dealing with, I mean, these poor emergency room doctors and ICU doctors, I mean, they were just watching people die right and left. You know, I think, um, you know, what was being portrayed in the media and what we were seeing, I mean, I think it really, it really scared a lot of people. Um, I, in another podcast, I said, you know, there's a reason they wanted to inject the first responders first. And it's not because they give two shits about us. It's because if the lay public sees that their doctor, nurses, policemen, firefighters are getting injected, well, then they're going to go get injected because they're, why is my doctor going to get something that's not safe? Right? So, you know, in our country, in the U.S., 96% of physicians have been uh, injected with this stuff. And I think that now, um, I think it's very hard, unlike, you know, people like Robert Malone, Steve Kirsch, you know, they've both been vaccinated, but they're speaking out about, against it. I think psychologically, it's very hard for a lot of doctors or people in general to be like, what the hell did I do to my body? Uh, what did I do to my wife, my kids, my patients by recommending all this? You know, I think it's very hard and they're still maybe believing that these things are good. You know, I don't, I think a lot of it too is intellectual laziness. I think a lot of doctors today just go with the flow. You know, they just, they do what they're told. You know, they don't, not a lot of us think very critically now. I mean, as a matter of fact, when I gave that talk to my medical staff, I said, you know, prior to COVID, if, if, if a doctor had a patient admitted to the hospital and it was some, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with the patient, some weird Albert, something was going on. So you would get on the phone and you would call the guy you went to residency with, who's probably practicing in some other country or state and say, look, I got this, this, and this. And the guy would say, oh, well, or woman would say, oh, well, yeah, I read about this in such and such journal, and this is what they're doing. And you would get the article, you would print it out, you would put it on the chart, you would reference in your note, I'm going to give this person whatever, because so-and-so did it and it helped, and you would be you would be fine to do that. Well, then COVID comes, and oh my God, you can't give ivermectin, you can't give, you can't, practice medicine. You just do what your hospital tells you to do. And of course, now we know that it was the Fauci way or no way. You know, the hospital got money for using remdesivir. You know, you, we all got an email about 
talking points with our patients to not, if they asked for ivermectin in the hospital, you know, this is what we're supposed to say to them to make them not want it. I mean, crazy. Um, I, I think, I think now, um, they're more open-minded to have a discussion, but, and in Florida, thank God we have the governor we have because he's made laws where doctors can practice and prescribe what they want, as opposed to California now where they pass that bill where, you know, you'll go to prison if you talk about ivermectin and COVID. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but, you know, a lot of doctors are paid by the hospital, so you have to play by the rules. You know, I'm not employed by my hospital, but I am employed by a large company and we have a chief medical officer of our company. And she told me a year ago, you will not treat your patients uh, with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. She actually called ivermectin horse paste. She's a CMO of a company and she called it horse paste. I, I copied the email because I want to shove it in her face when I recommend she get fired because I can't even believe that you know, anyway, I don't know where I was going. I'm, uh, no, I'm no, no. So, which, like, we're, we're, we're on about corruption. So, if we talk about the medical journals and everything, like, from lots of books that I've read over the years, before even this craziness happened, I could see that the FDA was highly fraudulent. And mm -hmm. it's like, apparently, I thought it was 50%, but apparently it's 75% funding from the pharmaceutical, plus the CDC constantly changing their figures, the World Health Organization. I mean, that's kind of like your governing body, which is rotten to the core. So that must be like, can you see any kind of light at the end of the tunnel when you see that it's like vermin is running all these places? I, I think the only light is an explosion. We need to blow it up and start over because you're right. I mean, um, I think we're one. I don't know what the other country is. I don't know if it's the UK. I'm not sure. But there's only two countries in the world where pharmaceuticals are allowed to be advertised on TV. I think that needs to go away because, you know, they pay all the media. I mean, everything's brought to you by Pfizer. You know, it's crazy. But there's an excellent, for the lay population, there's an excellent movie to watch. Um, it's called Dope Sick. It's, I believe it's on Netflix. Michael Keaton is like the top actor in it. And it's about the OxyContin um, situation with the Sackler family, which was the family that uh, owned the drug company that made it. It came out last year, perfect time, because it really portrayed how corrupt our FDA and pharmaceutical industry is because Basically, the Sackler family went to the FDA and paid them so that they could put on their bottles non-addictive, which we clearly know is a thousand percent not true. But they paid them to do that and then essentially caused the whole crisis. You know, they were paying doctors. They were crazy. But, you know, in my world, there's a there's a similar situation. So we as OBGYNs are supposed to promote the Gardasil vaccine, which is for HPV, which is related to cervical cancer. And I can't find the article, but there's an article that came out within the last month from Stanford, which is a reputable institution, 
showing that over the last 10 years, invasive cervical cancer rates have actually been going up every year, which why is that when we have this vaccine? Well, Merck is the company that make, makes Gardasil. And when they were doing their trials, they only studied the vaccine for a five-year period of time. The only thing they could show in their data was that it prevented pre-cancer or what we call cervical dysplasia. They never demonstrated that they prevented invasive cancer. Well, they went to the FDA and they paid them to be able to put in their packaging that their vaccine pre prevents cancer. And when they marketed it, they said, we're the only vaccine ever that's been made that prevents cancer. And that's not, they never showed that in their trials. So it happens all the time. And, you know, you can't have... What's, what's the saying, the wolf, whatever that guards the hen house, I don't know the saying, but you know where I'm getting. I mean, you can't, you can't regulate the industry that's paying you off. I mean, that, that's not going to happen. And, and, and it does. And our, and our um, research, like our, our medical journals, I will tell you, I haven't read my, my green journal. It's the green journal. It's our OBGYN journal. I haven't read it in two years because a lot of it is like, it's all about COVID and it's great. Use these shots. And I'm just like, I can't, but now, you know, very reputable journals like the Lancet and um, the British medical journal and new England journal of medicine, you know, they had to retract a lot of articles because you know, things were getting published, you know, early during the pandemic that was clearly ridiculous. And anybody that would have read it critically would have seen it right away. But where's the peer review? I mean, you have an editorial board of these journals. How is this shit getting published? Because I will tell you, I'm a doctor. I'm not a PhD. <laughs> I don't have a degree in statistics. When a doctor reads an article, we usually read what's called the abstract, you know, the paragraph in the beginning of the first page, because that tells you what they're studying, their results, and their conclusions. And we take that on good faith because, right, this was a peer-reviewed article. It's in a good journal. You know, should I have to go through and read every nook and cranny and do my own statistics, which I wouldn't know how to do? We shouldn't have to, but I will tell you moving forward, we're going to have to because we can't rely on what's being published. I'm sure those people are being paid and there's stuff that's not being published. That's very good statistically about COVID, you know, like Dr. McCullough and Jessica Rose's article last year on the myocarditis rates. We've known about myocarditis for a long time now. They're, they they were all set to go to be printed, and then at the last minute, the rug was pulled out from under them on this article, and they're actually suing the journal because they know it's all bullshit. So it's, I actually, if I were 10 years younger, I would go back to school to become a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor because I'm an allopathic doctor, and what we're taught in medical school is to be legalized drug dealers. Here's a problem, here's a drug. That's why in our country you have 80 year olds on 30 meds, but nobody gets to the crux of the problem. You know, these 
I used to think, I'll admit it, I used to think like naturopaths, no offense, Grace, you were nut jobs. <laughs> I didn't think you knew what you were doing, but you guys are the real deal. You know, I mean, I obviously there, you know, I deliver babies. I'm not like an internal medicine doctor that's going to just, you know, see you in 15 minutes and give you 50 prescriptions. You know, I don't, that's not how I roll here and what I do, but you know, the functional, I met a lot of functional docs at this conference I went to in October because, you know, sadly these vaccine injured people, which I sat at a table with three very smart women that have all been vaccine injured. And they went to this conference because they just want answers. You know, regular doctors in our country, they just, they either don't know what to do for these people or they say it's all in your head. I mean, this one woman I've become a friend with, she is from Texas and she is a petroleum engineer, um, as is her husband. So their career involves travel. They both got the injections because they knew they were going to have to travel for their work. And after her second Pfizer, she got, uh, they finally figured out she has small fiber neuropathy, which is most women that are getting reactions to these shots, their neurological reactions. Um, if she doesn't take the slew of medication she's on every day, she feels like somebody poured gasoline on her body and lit a match. I mean, awful. So she's homebound. She can't do her job. It's just, it's awful what we've done to people. But anyway, these functional doctors are, you know, treating them with, um, you know, things that aren't, you know, mainstream or whatever. It's very and sad it, what we've done to people. Oh, definitely. And just, just before I pass it to Hartmut, with the VAERS reporting then, because I heard I'm getting different, you know, some people are saying it's like 1% of what's been reported, others saying 10. But is that infiltrated as well? And that, how do you know when you're logging something? Is there a way to actually, to know that it's actually goes on the system for, I suppose, the statistics to show the true figures? You know, I've never, I've never been on the VAERS Prior to COVID, I will admit, I didn't even know it was a thing. I mean, I, I prior to COVID, I was not an anti-vaxxer, but I am now because I've gone down the rabbit hole and I, I, I would love to be able someday to meet Robert Kennedy Jr. I mean, I'm on his website all the time and I got his book and, you know. But anyway, it's a very complicated system, which is why a lot of physicians don't submit reports because one report might take you a half an hour to an hour. And we don't have that kind of time, to be honest. But uh, Jessica Rose thinks the underreporting factor is more than 10. It might be actually 40, you know, but they did do a study on the VAERS, you know, several years back showing that it's very underreported. But, you know, with the numbers that are there, I mean, that's, that's a lot of deaths. That's a lot of, a lot of bad things. If you multiply something by 10, you know, that's there. And, um, it's probably a lot more than that. You know, it's just, um, you know, there's people out there that they don't have to keep their, you know, like a lot of these morticians are talking up because they don't have to. Edward Dowd, good for him. You know, he's been talking about the excess mortality and he, he, nobody, nobody can shut him up. You know, he's not going to lose his job. He, he only works for himself. You know, I have a, a patient who owns a wig store 
she came to see me three weeks ago for her annual exam and she told me she couldn't believe the number of women over the last year coming in for wigs because they had chemo for breast cancer. She said it's she's never seen as many women and she's owned this shop for 30 years. You know, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But, um, you know, they designed the system to be hard to use because the CDC doesn't want to know, you know, they don't want to know the bad reactions with vaccines in general. Thank you very much, Kimberly. I'll pass it to Hartman. Yes. Hello, Kim. Pleasure hey. talking to you. And this, uh, yeah, it's a very emotional uh, subject because, um, uh, well, the problem is we see that everything was controlled and everything was very orchestrated and that many people of us, we are only the victims of a huge orchestra. Um, I want to say something to concerning this uh, uh, deaths. Uh, there is a man who is called Peter Halligan. Peter Halligan is an ex-financial analyst, and he has uh, uh, he has analyzed all the data worldwide by the government, which were reported by the government. And he said that the deaths globally can be between 1 million and 20 million people at the moment. Mm -hmm. And the injuries are up to 2 billion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I want to come um, to a very to the subject. Uh, is the, this whole vaccine thing, especially the marketing, in my opinion, it makes a very... It, it makes um, the impression that it was done for women, for women. So that the people, let's say it this way, um, Edward L. Bernays, who was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, he, he, he was the father of propaganda. And he um, made the propaganda or the commercial to that w women have the possibility to live a free life by smoking a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> 100 years ago, yeah? And the interesting thing is that this propaganda is more than 100 years old. Mm -hmm. So that, and only for a little bit background information, the, um, the CEO of Netflix, Mr. Randolph, is, the, is a child of Stephen Bernays Randolph. So he is a, so uh, the CEO of Netflix is the grand nephew of Sigmund Freud. Mm. Yeah, so this is something only to understand that and especially this vaccination or this proper this marketing was for protecting other people for protection. And if you don't protect others, you are antisocial. Mm -hmm. And this is something where uh, uh, I, I don't have any statistics how many men and how many women have taken the injection. I think this would be very interesting. Yeah, I don't know that offhand. Um, I just, uh, you know, I think um, New York and California probably have the highest vaccination rates in general. They may be they may be approaching like 90%, but most of the states, according to the CDC, I just looked this up, most of the states in our country, it's about a 70%. But I don't I didn't look close enough to see the breakdown. But what really amazes me is the fact that parents just ran to the pediatricians as soon as this stuff was 
you know, FDA approved to get their kids vaccinated. I mean, my God, you know, they theorized that probably 90% of our children already had already had COVID and had their own antibodies. And then you give them these shots, which make them make more spike. You know, that's probably why some of them, you know, got the myocarditis or clots or whatever, because you were inundating them now and just causing their immune systems to go nuts. But I don't know. I, again, it's the whole psychology behind it. You know, the fear, the the false, um, you know, how they were saying how all these children were hospitalized and dying. In the first year of the pandemic in the United States, we had 340 something children die uh, with COVID, not of COVID, because they all had like stage four cancers or some other comorbidity. There was not one child, and this was the Johns Hopkins study, Dr. Macri. There's not one child in the pandemic that died of COVID. And yet, you know, these parents were running out and getting them vaccinated for something. You shouldn't be vaccinated for something that you're not going to die from. I mean, what is the point? <laughs> How is the situation now? Does uh, do the to parents still vaccinate the children or not? Well, the numbers are much, much lower. I think the uptake for this now fifth booster, you know, the bivalent booster uh, in our country is only about 12%. So mm -hmm. people are, you know, I don't have the breakdown as far as, you know, how does that, you know, how is the, how is it in the children? But I think overall people are just done. I mean, they've seen how, you know, wh why am I going to get a shot for something? My neighbor had, you know, five shots and she's got COVID now for the third time. Like they're starting to, I think, you know, Elon Musk, you know, I don't, I don't know what I think of him overall, but what he's doing with Twitter now is amazing because all this shit's coming out and doctors that have been, you know, in Twitter jail are now out of jail and they're able to, you know, portray what's really going on. And, but I think people now, as opposed to last year, they're much more receptive now. Last year, it was like, if you swayed from the straight line, I mean, people would just get viscerally angry at you. I mean, you just couldn't have a discussion, but I think now there's, there's more openness, at least to discussion. But I think there's a lot of fear. I think people are like, what have I done, you know, and, and the unknown, I mean, it's, it's very scary, but I, I made a decision very early on that I wasn't going to get it. I mean, I voted for Trump, but I wasn't going to get anything injected in my body that was made warp speed. You know, I'm a breast cancer survivor myself. I'm only three years into my journey and I was not going to inject an experiment in my body. And then I got COVID in January of 2021 and I figured, well, I don't need it because I believe in natural immunity. But then Fauci was saying, oh, you know, you get better immunity with the shots. I mean, everything we've learned up to COVID was just like none of it made sense. But people were like, like a bunch of bobbleheads. OK. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, here in Germany. It was interesting when I went to a doctor also for natural healing, a natural uh, medicine. Uh, she said, no, the mRNA vaccination, she knew it already uh, by by the vaccinations against, or by the treatment against cancer, because in the mRNA 
uh, treatment is for cancer and it worked very well. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> this is unbelievable. And uh, and in the UK, you had uh, they they stopped the vaccination for children because uh, they inc the increase of the children deaths increased to up up to four hundred percent. So this is uh, and um, the problem is how. Um, how how are you going to uh, what do you think is the future right now because i uh, we had different reports coming from the world where mm, stupid research is done for example uh they say that car accident in canada car accidents <laughs> in canada or australian that for example by the prophecy by the information what we are what we are doing right now we are responsible for um Heart for uh, for mm -hmm. yeah for the for the side effects yeah mm -hmm. or uh, uh amazing Polly said it in canada that if somebody doesn't want to be vaccinated uh then he is um then he has a med then he has a mind disease uh, he has a brain disease so he, a psychological disease uh and should be treated mm -hmm. um in my opinion, this is uh, in my opinion this is very scary because it, everyone with common sense understands this. But if the pressure concerning economic, concerning health comes more and more, then this can be used as a, let's say um, against the people with common sense only to to make a mirror for the aggressiveness. So here in the states, there's a couple things. Um, in January, we're going to have a change in our House of Representatives where it's going to be Republican dominated. And we're going to, there are some Republicans that are going to start, they're definitely going to have um, an investigation of Fauci and a lot of the people that, as we all know now, very much misled the Trump, you know, the, the Trump administration. But in Florida, our governor, Ron DeSantis, basing it on a precedent from a successfully won lawsuit that Florida had against Big Pharma with the opiate crisis. He has been granted by our Supreme Court in Florida to be able to convene a, um, I don't want to say trial, but a uh, convene a grand jury to investigate the Pfizer and Moderna companies because they told Florida wrong information. They submitted not very good data to get FDA approval and they've caused harm. Our, our Surgeon General, Dr. Latipo, uh, did a very good study showing the increase in myocarditis in um, teenage boys and young men. And um, Dr. or Governor DeSantis feels that other Republican governors in our country will will probably follow suit and do similar things. Um, Governor DeSantis also is going to convene a panel like he had his roundtable a couple weeks ago. I was actually on one of the screens. You could be invited to be on the Zoom meeting, but he had people there like um, Bhattacharya, um, probably not saying his name right, which is awful, but uh, 
Dr. Koldorf, the, the three physicians that were part of the Great Barrington Declaration um, and some other experts there that he said he's going to convene a panel of experts like them if there's ever another pandemic to provide the public health recommendations in our state because our public health were ridiculous. I mean, they, Governor DeSantis got rid of our masks a long time ago by talking to those people, not our own public health, because they're just parroting what the CDC says. And he says, we're not gonna do that moving forward. Um, again, I just think things have to change. Like our public, our, our federal agencies, anything with three or four letters, they just need to go away because they're not in the best interest of the public. None of this was done correctly um, for public health. I mean, the lockdowns were just awful. I mean, you know, they probably will show in the end that, that the policies probably will have killed more people than the actual infection. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's really awful. But getting back to somebody was saying about the Netflix, what you said, you know, we've known in our country for a long time, I mean, the CIA has infiltrated Hollywood and a lot of movies, if you now go back and watch, you know, it's almost like they were predicting what was going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's really, yeah. but you know what they're not talking about, which is big news. I mean, I think it was two weeks ago now, they finally admitted that our government killed um, Kennedy in the 60s. Yes. Our CIA killed him. And that's like yeah. crickets, crickets. Nobody's talking about it. So who knows? What are we supposed to believe? Like there's a lot of theories about what really happened in 9-11. I mean, if you look at the way those buildings fell, it was like, I mean, that doesn't happen from a plane. <laughs> who knows have, what to believe? Have, it's very scary. I have one interesting information maybe for you. Uh, um, I don't know how to... To handle this, but uh, on the um, on the fifteenth December this year, twenty twenty, I was at the United Patent Application Publication, and I gave and I was searching for uh, mRNA and, and scanning and scan, just because in my mind. And the interesting thing is, on the fifteenth December, twenty twenty two, the coronavirus coronavirus vaccine was patent. Mm -hmm. The first coronavirus vaccine was patented by Kurovac AG in Tübingen, in Germany. And this is the official patent for a coronavirus vaccine. I was very I was very surprised because I thought the patent would be already established. Well, there are some patents for this. You know, Tony Fauci has his fingers in a lot of these pies and he he has patents. There are if you I I, I can't remember. Dr. David, is it Dr. David Martin? He always wears the bow tie and um, he he deals with patents and he's found patents that go back to the early 2000s on this, on these vaccines and viruses and everything. I mean, this is not, you know, a pangolin and a bat had sex and now we have this virus. <laughs> it's not what yes, look, the funny thing is only that now it is because it's written in big capital letter coronavirus vaccine patent public 15th december i said what the heck is going on there because the coronavirus vaccine must be patent many years ago or maybe one year ago 
yeah, or two years ago. But no, yeah. it's it's now patent. Yeah. I what don't did know. we get? This is the question: Is what did we get if this is the patent? Yeah, and you know what's interesting with that? Um, to kind of go a little off topic with these patents, but Monsanto company, which is now in your neck of the woods, they bought Bear Farm. Oh, yeah. I find amazing, you know, they make everybody sick, but that's okay. Now they now they have a pharmaceutical company. They can make everybody less sick. I don't know. But anyway, they they were the first company that was allowed to patent life because they were able to patent their seeds. And that's probably what opened the door to, you know, being able to patent, you know, a bacteria or a virus or something. You know, that's another evil, the whole food industry. Yeah. I mean, I was in, uh, my husband and I did a river cruise up the Rhine. We started in Ooh. Switzerland and we went up to, this was in 2018. And I could not get enough, same in, same in Ireland when I visit my cousin, I can't get enough of the butter because it just tastes like you come back to United States and you feel like you're eating plastic, the food in Europe, because, and I learned on the cruise and maybe I'm wrong, but they were telling us how like the farmers, you know, the cows are free range and they, they don't, um, they let them eat all the wildflowers and the dandelions and whatnot, because that's what gives flavor to their whatever, you know, sadly in our country with all the factory farming because of Monsanto, you know, all the cows are standing in dirt, you know, they're not we eating. in Germany as well, they, but uh, uh, the it's food is, was better. Now it's also very, very sad what the, what the cows get, but it was better. That's right. Yeah. We need to go back to, um, traditional farming. I mean, our food yeah. is, I think a lot of our, our sickness isn't just because of big pharma. I mean, it's just, you know, the food we eat, the environmental, yeah. who knows, who knows, you know, with all the 5G, I mean, who knows? <laughs> it's I mean, all connected anyhow. Yeah. Any, anyhow, it's all connected. And this is, uh, yeah, no, this is, it's a war. It's a war. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, in my opinion, it's a war in path against narcissists, but this is a different story. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a really pleasure talking to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you know, if, if there's a silver lining to this madness, I mean, I think it's allowed for people like we would never all be talking, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've all made, you know, friends globally. And um, I don't know. I think, I think that... Uh, is one thing we can kind of look to as a positive out of this. And I think that what they didn't, whoever planned all this, I don't think they counted on the fact that there were going to be so many people that were going to just say no and fight against it. And, and, you know, kudos for a lot of the European countries because people have been protesting for, a year and a half in the streets over mandates and whatnot. You know, we're a bunch of lazy asses here in our country, but you know, you guys have been, you know, I just think they didn't really count on so many people um, fighting against a lot of this stuff, you know? Uh, by the way, I think you know Mr. Drosten, right? Yeah, he's the wonderful PCR creator. Yes, yeah. and yeah. Today, today he made a very, wonderful announcement he said 
the pandemic in Germany is over, but the government says no. <laughs> yeah, no, our no. president Biden, uh, he's still carrying on the emergency. There, there hasn't been an emergency. We actually never in the United States had an emergency. We sent the Navy ship, the hospital ship up to New York because that was the busiest New York City. And, you know, the governor at the time was saying, oh, I need more ventilators. I don't have enough hospital rooms. The Navy ship was empty. Like he never, yes, we had a lot of patients, but we never were overrun. You know, it was really never an emergency, but our president keeps it going because then that way, you know, the vaccines keep going and everything keeps going. It's crazy. So but it looks like that uh, uh, when the... Uh when the politics change a little bit in January, that maybe also this emergency um, status will go away in the next couple of months, hopefully. I hope, you know, I really hope. I mean, we're the last country that everybody says to, to carry on, you know, democracy and freedom. And obviously, you know, the 2020 election and the last election we had in November uh, totally corrupted you know, I mean, something has to change or we're just going to be like everybody else. And I don't know if it's going to require, you know, another civil war or something, because um, it's just crazy what has happened in, in medicine. I mean, I just the censorship and what's happened in medicine is just, you know, a small piece of the pie. But it's just amazing to me. I, I I'm my parents are both gone all my grandparents are gone and i thank god for that because my my pop-up fought in world war ii and for what i mean the shit that's going on right now i'm getting a little emotional because it's just i can't believe it you know what did he fight for it's craziness all the um you know all the blm and the lgbt the five million letters after i mean it's just I don't know. Our, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but it's it's got to change, or I'm going to have to move to another planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the the problem is it's the pharmaceutical industry because, for example, I I had a friend of mine. She was Chinese, for example, this is, and she worked for Monsanto in China as lobbyist. And the interesting thing was this woman was trained by a manager of Bayer in 2010. So, so you see that, <laughs> that Bayer was behind Monsanto, although it, it never owned Monsanto. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was what, like five years ago now, when did they, when did yeah. they purchase? Yeah. I think five years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, but uh, let's say positive. I, in my opinion, these these pastors are nothing like birth pangs, and that's it. Let's see if we get something better out of the situation. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so Just much. I pass it to work. Yes, briefly, Dr. Kim, before you leave, can you just please uh, assure one of our viewers, he, she wrote this, he said, I was around a lot of people at work who were vaxxed. Now I wonder about the shedding I was exposed to. Yeah, there's, um, 
you know, I think there is some truth to that because uh, traditional vaccines um, that people get, we know that they are shed as well in something that's called an exosome. I mean, for example, if I were to go get a shingles vaccine, I probably wouldn't work for a few days because I wouldn't want to risk possibly exposing my pregnant women to uh, varicella, which is the chickenpox vaccine. If they haven't had chickenpox, they don't want to get it while they're pregnant. Um, I think it's very possible. I mean, I was watching a podcast a year ago of a mother who's, uh, I want to say she was like 12-year-old daughter. Um, the mother was divorced from the husband. The mother was not vaccinated. The husband was vaccinated. And every time the husband would get a shot, the daughter would visit him. The daughter would start hemorrhaging, like bleeding. And, you know, we know these spike proteins are causing issues with with bleeding. So she put two and two together and said, it's got to be because, you know, they're shedding from the dad. Um, so I think now how much of the spike, clearly you're not going to get as much of the spike as you would get if you're vaccinated because, you know, these shots basically turn your body into a spike protein making machine. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot more spike um, when you have the machinery in your body as opposed to what you might be exposed to with the shedding. But, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And it, it was never studied or it might have been studied. Who knows? It's kept under wraps, you know. Yeah, so one thing that we know is that all of us need to really do our due diligence to study everything. It's not really just one aspect in our society. So everything, because as we now know that we have been lied to and even our parents and grandparents. So at this moment, since you brought up your your grandparents, your parents, your grandparents, and it just brought to my memory so many veterans whom I've worked with as well. Um, mm that uh, we pray for those who are having really difficulty and um, our government, most of, they, they sort of think that they're taking care of them, but I know for a fact that they're neglected in their health who have suffered. So for all of us who have that lineage of um, military officers and you know loved ones who have served, and yeah, let me see what did they believed in their hearts that they were really helping, protecting our people for us, for the future generation. So the same thing, now we're all warriors, we're all the soldiers for the next generation and we may not be here. Yes, Kim, we may be in another planet, but for those who decide to stay, they may be better off. So, um, and I'd want to tell everyone, encourage everyone to really um, keep protecting, amplify your protection in whatever ways you know, prayers, songs, communities, loved ones. And um, so where can the audience connect with you, Kim? Yeah, so I'm newly to tw Twitter. Uh, I just created the account on Friday, believe it or not. Um, so my it's at docbis uh, to find me. Um, I was on Facebook, but I deleted my account 
uh, in January of uh, 2021, I think it was um, when they arrested Dr. Simone Gold because she went to the Capitol. And I was like, yeah, I'm very outspoken. I think you can tell, like, I don't filter anything. I'm very outspoken on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't want to be found that easily. So I deleted my Facebook account. So I'm not, I'm, I was trying to stay under the radar, but now I don't really care anymore. I mean, if I get fired because I'm trying to help my patients, which is what I took an oath to do when I graduated from medical school, then so be it. I mean, I'm, I'm done not talking anymore. So I'm on Twitter. I don't have like my own personal website. Um, I've been trying, I've done a few podcasts now, so I'm trying to get out there. Um, you know, I'll try to answer on Twitter, but you know, I'm not as big as some, I'm a small fish in this ocean, but whatever I can do, you know, Dr. Thorpe is a high risk obstetrician who's from Florida as well. And he actually was one of the physicians on the panel that presented to Senator Ron Johnson, uh, two weeks ago now. I think that was on the 7th of December. So more than two weeks. Anyway, um, he and I and one other physician in Florida are trying to get into speak with Dr. Latipo and Dr. and Governor DeSantis um, because uh, both of them have been very vocal about how they're not recommending these vaccines be given to children in Florida, but the children start in the womb so they need to start addressing the fact that these should not be given to pregnant women. So we're trying to get, we have some channels to get in, you know, with him and hopefully we'll be successful. Yeah, we really thank you so much. Although you are in Florida and we're all from different places, but you know, every, every eye I believe is always looking into Florida and United States. And yes, please guide Dr. De, uh, Governor DeSantis because there are certain commentaries of the people that he has chosen. So you know how we have to always think about infiltration. And yeah. with that, we'd like to say thank you also yeah. to all our audience. And please, any of you and, and Dr. Kimbis, you're always welcome to come back and any of you and your buddies will, we are also small fish, but we persist. We've been doing this since 2020. It's okay. We get censored, YouTube taken down, but we just keep going. Shadow ban, maybe one, but one person always makes, you know, it, it, it has a ripple effect, as they say, so that quantum effect, that's what we want to give. So thank you. And yes, take care. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year and Hartmut, Roy, and I Everybody. thank you. Bye. Bye.